I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Can you say the letter C? All right, welcome back, CC Hunt Files. Man, I got a good one for you this week. Uh, gosh, I mean, I try to have a good one for you every week, but I'm really pumped about this one because I got uh, got a guy on the other line here. That's Archery365 from, um, man, Vegas, five spot, three deed, all the way to the bow hunting the Wasatch front like I do. So uh, it, that's, this is going to be a fun one for me. I get to nerd out on the archery end and then get to talk bow hunting with a guy that's literally doing it for a living so yeah super pumped but uh let's run through the sponsors real quick that uh, make this podcast go grizzly coolers code wcb um they got some uh new year stuff running right now i think some sales on possibly some old stuff from last year 2022 i know they got some cool stuff in 2023 coming out uh black ovis that code wcb10 save you some cash over there um i said in the last couple podcasts they've got some really cool um black ovis specific branded gear coming out for this year also the sister companies crispy and camo fire make sure you're keeping an eye on camo fire beginning of the new year a lot of cool deals as always there hunter's box club shout out to another another utah guy devin leonard uh the man with the best hair and best teeth on the wasatch probably on any mountain actually make sure you're checking him out um still 29.99 that gets you the box shipped to your door every month. He's got some really cool T-shirt designs coming down the pipe. I've got to see a couple proofs of those. You guys don't want to miss out on those. He's got some really cool companies he's working with. And last but not least, Novix Tree Stands, which I've been absolutely living out of here in Ohio, trying to find a mature buck that wants to take one of my arrows. Have not been successful at finding that buck yet, but doing a lot of hanging and banging and bouncing around and the Novik systems are pretty hard to beat so with that being said i'm gonna get ready to turn it over to uh man none other than the uh gosh dang the man the myth the legend the uh i believe two-time vegas winner which is we're gonna dive into that because i've shot that shoot and um that's really saying something to win it once let alone twice the man kyle douglas (laughs) happy to be here Hey, absolutely, Kyle, man. It's uh, it's late. We are at, uh, oh, man, it's like, well, it'd be almost 1030 my time, 830 your time. You're getting off work. Um, I put the kiddos to bed. I got a big iced coffee in front of me because I got to stay pumped up for this one. I, I've been super excited. And I'm like, man, whatever time we got to make it, if it's four in the morning, it is what it is. We got to get this one in, man. I'm excited to have you on. <laughs> yeah, sorry to keep you up late. I tend to have kind of a crazy schedule so we just fit things in when i can 
No, man, you're you're good. Like I said, I was pumped uh, pumped to get you on and excited to get rolling. Um, man, I'm gonna let you just kind of take over, Kyle. Give us a rundown for those. I mean, a lot of people know you because uh, of the career you've got and what you're doing. But for those that don't, just give us a rundown on on just kind of a little bit about you and, and kind of what you've got going on. And, and man, we're just gonna dive right into everything uh, everything archery that's uh, revolving around your life and and kind of that what your life revolves around. I guess goes both ways. <laughs> yeah cool um you know i uh i'm born and raised here in utah um lived here my whole life i uh, kind of did everything outdoors growing up you know from horses to four-wheelers to hunting to fishing to you know whatever you could think of if it was outside i was doing it um you know on the archery side of things i started pretty young um you know i've had a bow in my hand as long as i could even remember um started doing tournaments in probably around junior high or so um you know just kind of started out just shooting a I, I was actually shooting a kids league um and uh, we'd go up there on like wednesday nights and shoot and one of the guys running the league uh, invited uh me and my my good buddy and one of my or my little brother as well to come up to a tournament that weekend and so we decided we'd go and give it a shot and liked it and just kind of took off from there so things kept rolling and just kind of stuck with it you know i shot all through through high school and college and that um you know I kind of worked my way through I didn't I started working at a bow shop um in college um you know out of high school I, I started going to college and I started working at a shop there working a few different shops and then end up uh closing down the one main shop that I was working at um and I still needed a, a job going through college so I decided to start my own bow shop um kind of started that in my dad's garage and kind of just have kind of grown it from there and, you know, kept the archery thing going. I just kind of, have, you know, shot more and more and went to what I could and just tried to work hard and improve and kind of turned into a career for me. You know, I was supposed to be an engineer after college. And then I uh, won Vegas my senior year and that kind of changed things for me, kind of made my whole life do a turn, you know. So I decided, well, well, we'll ride the archery thing out as long as we can and see how that goes. And, so far, it's been really good. I uh, had a really good last couple of years um, shooting a bow. So, yeah, that's man, that that's awesome. So, so right now, realistically, you've got you're supposed to be an engineer, but I mean, you kind of are because I mean, you're you're like an engineer in the archery world. You're 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 an engineer on people's bows and equipment. So it's kind of like you're an engineer. I mean, you're you're you know, you're helping <laughs> and and I'm sure you're helping some companies design some gear and and products and stuff, right? I'm I'm sure you've got your hands in in some companies as far as helping design. So I mean, I feel like you are an engineer, Kyle. I, I feel like you, you you you're like an archery engineer, but just in a little bit maybe a different I guess way that maybe other people thought you're going to maybe be civil engineer or, you know, you're going to go into electrical engineering or something. Instead you went into archery engineering. <laughs> yeah. So my degree is actually in mechanical engineering. So it really fits well into the archery side of things, you know, and um, I, I definitely work with a lot of different companies, you know, and we'll, you know, bounce ideas back and forth. If I come up with something and, and run it by them and see what they think, you know, and, and stuff like that. So it works out pretty cool to kind of have an understanding, you know, at least from, from the manufacturing perspective of kind of how things work and the way things need to be built. So it's pretty neat. It, it kind of goes hand in hand with the archery. So then now, so, so you, you have your own shop that you've got running pretty much then 24 seven. That's, that's kind of, I guess you could call that like a, like one of your day jobs, I guess. Right. Yeah. So the shop, uh, I have a little, 
the hours are kind of screwy. You know, they're fairly limited because I travel so much for tournaments. Um, so I've got, you know, I, my dad helps me a lot at the shop. Um, I do have another guy working for me now part-time. Um, you know, so we try to be open at least two days a week, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And as long as I'm in town, I'm there, they're every day working. Um, so I do that as much as I can. And then, you know, go shoot on the weekends usually and come back and get back to tuning guys' bows. Well, that's awesome. Now, what's what's the biggest challenge in today's world? I mean, I've spent a lot of time around archery shops and different things. And in college, I shot and shot five spot in Vegas and, and traveled around a lot. And I've actually shot uh, Vegas a couple times and shot out at the Lancaster Archery Classic a bunch and all the state shoots and different things. And, um, you know, it seems like as times went on, you know, there's there's a lot of different obstacles, like for, for just the shop side of things, not even you shooting, but just the archery business itself running a shop. What's What's like the biggest challenge that you have maybe from year to year or even month to month as time goes on and all the innovations happening in archery you know what what do you think is the biggest challenge there i mean as far as running the shop for me the most challenging side would be more of like the the inventory or the business side of things you know i'm really good at tuning bows and working with customers and and you know building arrows doing all that kind of stuff the technical side of things but you know trying to to watch all the other stuff on top of that, see what the numbers are and see how many, you know, of this and that I've got inventory and place orders and program orders and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm more of a, a hands-on guy. I'd rather just dive in there and, and work on somebody's equipment rather than sit behind the computer and try and program orders. So to me, that's the big, biggest challenge, you know, but obviously every year, you know, companies come out with new bows. So you're trying to figure out, you know, they're, they're all going to have their own little quirks and stuff like that. So every year it's kind of a, a little bit of a interesting challenge, at least for the first part of the year, kind of figuring out what each bow is going to like and how you need to set them up to get the most performance out of them. You know, every, every bow is a little bit different, or at least every, you know, for sure every brand, but even every model, you know, sometimes there's little things here and there that you can do to them just to, to squeeze every last bit out of them that you can. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, uh, it's for the last, I don't know, you know, 10, 12 years, I've been blessed to where I get, you know, the, the newest, latest, greatest bow, um, you know, every year. And uh, I used to always think, oh, man, you know, it can't get any better. But sometimes it's almost like, you know, and I'm sure you see this every year with all the new bows coming out, you know, there's a there's always some some bows that you're just like, gosh, dang, this thing is just the one. And then it's like, up here comes another one and you got to relearn everything and maybe there's you know this one's a little easier to tune this one's a little harder you know this one you got to switch out top you know top hats the last one you did i mean there's just you know you're always kind of switching and and having to like make these adjustments and then it's like you know i'll get used to a bow after a few months and then three months later up here comes the new one you know so it's like even like on my end as as just a guy that's working with companies you know and and i've been with the same you know i've been with the same company uh with, with matthews now for i mean i don't know it's 12 13 years something like that and yeah a lot of stuff's you know the same but a lot's different every bow every model like you said it's everyone's different and it's like you know i it's you get used to one for a little bit and then poof here comes the new one so i can only imagine you having a shop where you've got you know all these models and probably makes and and you know i mean it just yeah there's there's got to be so much of that that you probably enjoy that aspect of trying to figure out all that but then trying to keep stock and keep track and what do you got what do you don't 
I feel like that would be tough for a hands-on guy like I know you are, you know, so that, that makes sense where that would be kind of, I guess, a challenge or maybe the least fun part of actually having the, uh, the archery shop itself. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, working on bows and stuff to me, it's not even really, I like it a lot. So it doesn't even feel like work. You know, I go to work and I'm not like all upset that I have to go to work for the day, you know, cause I love, I love talking, hunting with guys, you know, sit there, you know, what, what else could I ask for in a job than BSing with, you know, with guys about bow hunting and working on bows. I mean, it's, it's just an awesome job. It, you know, and you actually got to work and do the business side of things. That's not so fun, but you know, the bow stuff's really cool. And I always enjoy a challenge, you know, and trying to figure out, you know, new stuff and when, when new things come out or, you know, just, just playing with things and learning new things. It's always interesting. There's always something that you can learn, you know, no matter how many bows you've worked on, you're always going to find one that's going to, you know, throw a kink at you that you, you're going to have to work away around or something like that. You know, never, no two bows are ever the same, even the exact same model, the exact same everything, no two bows are going to react the same. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, you've got obviously a, a lot more experience with different makes and models and companies than I ever will. But I mean, yeah, I mean, just like I said, even sticking with one brand for as long as I have, um, I've had backup bows, the exact same setup, exact same bow, make, model, everything. And, and one, you got to do something completely different to get a good tear or to walk back tune it a certain way. You know, I mean, it, it's, it, it's like, man, everything's the exact same, but hey, just side by side to look at them, it's the same. But when you start shooting them and I had to tweak this one one way, tweak the next one the other, and it's the same exact setup, same exact bow, so... No, I know exactly what you're talking about there. I mean, as far as that, you know, that aspect of the challenge, and that would be fun. Um, you know, I had an archery range for six years back in the day, and I had a lot of guys that, you know, would, would come to me and, hey, can you help me set up, you know, my bow? I got a new one, or, hey, I'm having problems. Can And, you know, and I always found that was fun to troubleshoot and try to figure out, okay, well, is it the rest? Is it this? Is it, you know, and you start going down through your checklist. I always thought that was fun, you know. So, I mean, for a guy like you, to be able to have that as your, you know, kind of like quote unquote your day job, that's uh, that's got to be a lot of fun. But let, now let's talk about your other side, Kyle, because you know you've got that side um, of work, and then you've also got the, your other line of work, which is shooting on a line somewhere or on a three D course, or you know, um, that's I mean that's also part of your living and part of your job as well so i mean break break that down for us what's what's that like to be you know a professional archer but yet you still have a fa- you know family you still got another job i mean you're you're juggling a lot there and um you know man over the last couple of years you know you're you're kicking ass and taking names so it's it's not like it's slowing you down but i know i know there's a lot you're juggling there <laughs> yeah there's a lot of early morning late nights involved in that you know just trying to accomplish too many things with too little daylight you know and so the the archery side of things has been awesome you know I that was kind of always my dream job growing up was to shoot a bow for a living you know so it's it's really cool to see that come true you know I never thought it would actually be possible um but it's been really awesome you know it's a lot of work trying to keep keep bows dialed in and keep myself dialed in and and travel the tournaments and you know at the same time balance the the shop and, and family and stuff like that um but you know, I I wouldn't wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, that's that's what I've always wanted to do. So it's you know, there's a lot of stress that comes with the archery side of things too. You know, I mean, you don't win, you don't get paid. So it <laughs> there's definitely a lot involved there to to try and make sure that you're always performing at the top of your game year round. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, what all, I mean, you know, so your entire umbrella of what you're doing when it comes to being a professional archer, what's that cover? I mean, give us a rundown. I mean, obviously, you know, Vegas and five spot and all that, but I mean, what, what else? I mean, I'm guessing probably some field stuff, 3d stuff. I mean, you're probably kind of all over the board then I, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I like to shoot a little bit of everything. You know, a lot of guys kind of specialize in Target or in 3D or something like that. And I've always just went to every shoot that I could, really. Um, you know, so I always shoot the full ASA 3D circuit. Um, there's usually like six tournaments a year there. Um, and then I'll shoot like the full NFAA circuit. So that one would be like um, Vegas, Indoor Nationals, Dakota Classic. Uh, we got like Redding, Field. Um so all all different types of archery, you know, and I, I've dabbled a little bit in like the USAT feed outdoor stuff, but I've never really hit that super hard. A lot of times that'll conflict schedules with the ASA um, stuff, so I tend to to lean a little bit more towards the 3D side of things. But yeah, I I shoot a little bit of everything. I mean, if if there's money there, I'll go. I'm not afraid to try new things or, or shoot wherever we need to. Yeah, I thought just from you know the times the time that I've spent following you and stuff on social, it looked like you're, you're kind of all over. Now, what would you say if you had a favorite, what would be your favorite? So if I said, Hey, you can only shoot one of these events or, or one of these styles forever, what would it be? And then aside from that, which one is the most challenging or presents the hardest challenge, I guess, to you um, as an archer, you know, in, in your mind, that's, that's two questions right off the top of my head that I think a lot of people would want to hear you talk about. I know I definitely would love to hear those, those answers just because I, I think it's so cool that, you know, you cover all those different aspects of archery, you know, when it comes to it field 3d Vegas, you know, ASA, I mean, all, all these different deals, um, you know, you, you've got to have, I would think of maybe a favorite or one that's kind of the, maybe your most fun. And then one that's probably like the most challenging for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of partial to Vegas. You know, <laughs> after winning a couple times, it's always been kind of a special tournament. And growing up, that's kind of like my home tournament. You know, because we can actually drive to that one. Everywhere else, we have to fly. Um, as far as like the shooting side of things, you know, ASA is is probably one of the more you know, 3D is one of the more fun things for me to shoot, just because it's always something different, different targets, different distances. You, know, you get the up and downhill stuff, maybe a little bit of wind to play with. So they're they're kind of different in different ways. You know, the atmosphere and stuff at the indoor of the Vegas stuff is really cool. Um, you know, and, you know, everybody's there, all your buddies are there and stuff. And then, you know, the 3D side of things, um, it just, you know, as far as like a shooting style, I, I tend to like that kind of shoot, you know, because it just kind of breaks things up and keeps it interesting. And you're always, you're always pushing yourself. You know, indoors is kind of like a, a lot of a mental game, you know, just shoot a clean score don't miss and 3d you're you're trying to grab every point you can and shoot 12s and 14s in the shoot offs and a little bit more strategy involved there you know and i would say as far as like a from a challenge standpoint um you know different tournaments are are more difficult in different ways you shoot like the indoor stuff and basically it's a metal game i mean yeah there's a a physical shooting side and you got to be able to shoot at a certain level but once you hit a certain point a lot of that is mental you know there's a lot of guys out there that can shoot some really good scores um you know what it basically what it boils down to at the end that final error in the shoot off is it, just mental you know everybody's good enough to win it's just you got to keep everything together so that's a you know a huge challenge with the pressure and or especially vegas vegas is just a total pressure cooker you know it Whatever it is about the that tournament down there, you just it almost feels like the building's gonna crush you. 
um, you know, trying to shoot a 900 or trying to win the shoot off down there. And, you know, then you look at like 3D or field and that's a totally different, you know, type of difficulty because then you're talking more, more technical archery. You know, you got to have your sight tape dialed. You got to have your bow shooting really good at longer distances. Um, you know, on the 3D side, you got to know where to aim on the targets. So you're trying to pick spots with your binos and, um, and stuff like that. So there's a lot more going on with that than just pulling back and shooting at a spot. So it, yeah, they're, they're, they're both difficult in different ways, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I could see definitely how, you know, a lot of guys that are probably shooting at your level and, and uh, professional archers would probably have to have a similar answer or, or be, you know, in agreement with what you said. It makes sense to me because I mean, I've been to Vegas, shot Vegas and, you know, I want to touch on that a little bit because, you know, for those that don't know how big Vegas is, I mean, Explain that shoot, what it entails. I mean, that's lights, camera, action, ESPN. I mean, that that's. I mean, if you win Vegas, uh, that's like the granddaddy of them all. I mean, that's uh, like you said, that's a pressure cooker. I mean, um, I've got to be there, experience it. It it would be fun for anyone that loves archery just to go and attend it and watch. Um, you know, the atmosphere, the just the. Pre- I mean, you can cut the air at times, you know, when, when you're down to that final shoot down, I mean, that's, uh, oh man, I just, I can't even imagine. So talk to us about that. Um, just for those that maybe don't know what, you know, we're, we're talking about the Vegas shoot. They're like, man, what the hell is a Vegas shoot? You know, what's okay. It's probably in Vegas, but outside of that, I don't know anything else about it. Just kind of give us the rundown on that. And then I'd love to hear you talk, Kyle. I mean, you've won it two or three times. I mean, was the first one the hardest or did you feel more pressure after you won it? And then you're trying to like repeat because in my mind, you know, once you got the monkey off your back and you won it once, I, I would almost feel like, okay, now I'm hungry. I, I, I got to go back and, and, and be starving for this again. But, but guys are gunning for you because you, you've won it once. So now it's like, you've almost got a target on your back. So I'm curious to hear like, which, which time was maybe harder or, or more challenging for you when it comes to like that pressure cooker side of things. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, you know, in, in archery terms, Vegas is like our Super Bowl for archery. You know, it's the, the biggest one of the year, the most attendance, it's got the highest payout. Um, it's just the one, I don't know, the tournament that everybody just kind of knows about. You know, if you know anything about archery tournaments, you probably know about Vegas. Um, usually it's in, the like, the first weekend of February, so we go down there, um, and you shoot for three days, and you're you're shooting a 300 round. Um, so you're shooting on the three-spot target. You're shooting, um, you know, three rows around, 10 rounds. You're shooting a 300 round total. Um, and then over three days, it adds up to 900. So the big thing into Vegas is to try and get a 900, um, you know, in, in the pro class anyway. So basically you're clean for 90 arrows. You never miss the 10 ring for 90 arrows. Um, and then everybody that's left clean at the end of that goes into the shoot down, um, which they'll run Sunday night. Um, and basically it's just a, a sudden death shoot down. So they, you know, the first round they score regular 10 ring scoring. And then the second round they go to the baby X scoring. So um, basically the X ring becomes the 10. Uh, and you've got to shoot three X's to stay in it. Um, you know, if you don't, basically you get eliminated and, and you go down to there's only one guy left. So it's, you know, it, it's super tough because just knowing that you can't miss for the entire tournament. I mean, you got to shoot 300 every day. You got to have the whole 900 together. And then in the shoot off, you still can't miss that. You got to, um, 
you know, keep pounding the X's and it's just the pressure of not being able to miss that gets to, to everyone down there. It's, it's pretty crazy. You know, the shoot off, they've got all the cameras and the lights and all the crowd and stuff going on there. There's a whole lot of stuff going on, you know, as far as like, which one's harder to win, you know, it, it's, I would say the, the first one was probably harder for me. Um, just because I, you know, that was the first really big level tournament that I'd won as a pro. Um, and just trying to, to win something that big was just, it was almost like inconceivable to me. I didn't even know if it was possible, you know, and it happened so fast by the end of it, my head just spinning. It didn't sink it. It took weeks for it to sink in that I actually had won Vegas, you know, and going into the second one, it was a, a lot of different kind of pressure because you'd already won it once. So, you know, the confidence level that is there that, yeah, I can win this tournament. I've done it before. I can do it again. But then you got that other side where everybody's asking you, you know, messaging on social media, and if they run into you, like, are you going to win Vegas again? Are you going to win Vegas this year? And it just, you know, you, you try and keep those thoughts out of your head and just do your thing. So when I get down there on the line, you know, I'm really thinking of it one arrow at a time for the whole entire tournament and try not to let that get to you. But, you know, it's always going to be there. No matter what you do, you can't get those thoughts back out of your mind. You try and get rid of them the most you can. But, um yeah, so I would say the first one's probably hardest, but the second one, there is a lot of different pressure because then you're kind of expected um, to do well rather than, you know, just coming out of the blue and, and winning the tournament, so. Yeah, no, I, I could see that for sure. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like to, you know, be on that final shoot down and, and you have, like you said, I mean, you know, you've got to shoot a perfect, I mean, it's crazy to think about, but what you said, I mean, it's a hundred percent right. Like you've got to basically shoot perfect arrows the entire time you're at that shoot from start to finish to even give yourself a chance. And then after you get after, you know, that first round, now you're going to baby, you know, you're, you're going to the baby X. So now it's not even perfect. It's like a micro perfect on those rounds to keep yourself in it. So, I mean, it, it's crazy to think about, you know, the total amount of arrows that you're going to shoot in that whole entire weekend span and every one basically has to be a money shot. I mean, you, you can't have a slack on realistically any, any of that entire tournament, which is just nuts to think about. But like you said, it's a total mental game. Yeah. Vegas is all about perfection. You know, everything you cannot miss. And it, you know, to kind of maybe describe the, the pressure to somebody that's never been in that situation before. I mean, you come down to the, the last arrow in the shoot-off, um, and winning Vegas, depending on your sponsors, is probably going to pay anywhere from eighty to $100,000. So you're sitting there knowing that if you hit this arrow, you're going to win eighty dollars to $100,000. If you miss it, it's gone. Somebody else may win that. You know, it all rides on one arrow. You know, that's the kind of pressure that you're dealing with down there. So it's, it's definitely a, a challenge to try and overcome that, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's like you said, that's just a, you know, it's a pressure cooker. You've got to absolutely block everything out and you've got lights, camera action down there. I mean, everything's filmed. I mean, the, the crowd, the, you know, like I said, I, I've been there, I've got to witness it. And, and it's, it's really like nothing that you could ever experience if you're a, an archer or even if you're just a guy that bow hunts, but just likes to be around a bunch of like-minded people. I mean, I mean, that's just a, like you said, it's the granddaddy of them all. It's it's the Super Bowl of the whole deal, so that's that's really cool. Now you've won it what twice, three times? Um, as a pro, I've won it twice. I won it once as a young adult, 
um, even like the, the young adult championship, like the 15 to 17 year old age division. Uh, but as a pro, I've won it twice. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, how long have you been quote unquote, like you've had your pro card and been, you know, basically like this has been okay. Yep. Professional archer. This is my job. This is what I'm doing. Like how many years now would you consider that you've, you've been, you know, that's been kind of the, uh, I guess the title that you've got. Uh, you know, so I started competing on a pro level. Um, I guess when I turned 18, um, you know, I'm, I'm 25 now. So been doing it for a while. I would say, you know, the, probably the last three years, I would say I've been doing it professionally, you know, being able to make a living off of shooting uh, for probably about the last three years or so. Up until then, you know, I'd, I'd done okay, but never won any like super major tournaments. You know, I won a bunch of regional stuff and a bunch of local stuff um, and placed well at some of the big national shoots, um, just had never quite got that monkey off my back. Um, so Vegas in 2020 was the first really big shoot that I won and kind of just catapulted from there. You know, I just kind of kept things rolling and ended up winning a bunch of events that year. And, you know, it's, it's been good ever since. Man, that's awesome. Good on you chasing a dream and being able to live it out and, and being able to, you know, just go at it full time. And I mean, that makes a huge difference when you're able to really dedicate yourself to your craft and, and you're not just trying to like, I guess not half acid, but when you've got a full-time job maybe elsewhere and you're not able to shoot a ton or you're not able to work on, you know, the archery side of things all the time and, and you're trying to juggle this and that, that makes it so much harder. But when you can say, hey, I'm just diving into this and, and I'm going to spend a few years and just really focus on this full-time, um, it just gives you such an edge, you know, especially when you're competing against a bunch of guys that that's what they're doing, you know. So if you're not able to shoot as much of them, practice as much as them, be around your bow as much, you know, that that's just, it's such a disadvantage. So, man, good on you for being able to do that. I mean, I'm sure that has made probably a huge difference between, you know, wins and losses and how much you've had success, I'm sure, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is definitely, the more time you put behind your bow, the better. And, you know, I would say, Nowadays, I could get away with a little bit less practice if I needed to, just because um, I know what my bow's got to do. I know what it needs to feel like. I know what specs I need to have it set up at and stuff like that. So it just cuts a lot of the time out of, you know, building setups and dialing things in. And, and I know what to look for in a good setup that's forgiving and that's not forgiving. But there is no, um, you know, no alternative to just time behind the bow. You've got to build that muscle memory. You've got to keep your muscles in shape. Um, and you just got to have that, that time behind the bow. So I'm constantly, you know, any, any time I have to shoot, you know, I'm out on the range shooting a lot that with the shop, it's a little difficult. So I'm, you know, I'm usually there early in the morning before the shop opens or late at night after it closes, just trying to get practice in because I'm not, you know, not going to let working in the shop, um, uh, make my archery suffer. You know, if I got to stay up till one in the morning, shooting my bow, that's what I got to do. You know, I just, we got to make it happen one way or another. You know, I'm, I'm, I never go to a tournament um, when I feel like I'm unprepared. I feel like I don't have a chance to win. You know, I'm going to show up to every single tournament that I go to um, ready to go to battle, you know, because there's so many good shooters out there right now. You just can't show up half cocked. You've got to show up ready to roll. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely – there's a ton in every 
every division, every class. I mean, you know, men's, women's. I mean, yeah, there's <laughs> there's shooters all over the place for sure. So I can only imagine. Yeah, you you can't afford to ease up or slack off a little bit, or you got the next guy right behind you that's ready to come thump you that day. So I could definitely see where uh, where that mentality's always got to be sharp. Now you just. Um, you talked about you know trying to shoot as much as, as you can and, and getting behind the bow and you know and putting a ton of arrows downrange. Have you ever actually really stopped and um, calculated even and, and just a rough estimate? I mean, how many arrows do you think in a year's time, roughly? And I mean, we we could be within like say a few thousand or something. Have you ever really calculated? I'm just curious, like what you think you probably put on as far as okay arrows downrange. Do you have any even type of a rough number that you could throw out there just for reference? Because I think it would blow a lot of people's mind. Because you know, there's a lot of guys that, oh, yeah, I shoot a lot, a couple thousand arrows a year. I shoot a lot. Like, what do you think you would probably shoot if you had to pinpoint that? Or maybe you, maybe you know. Maybe you keep track of that. I don't know. But I, I just – I think that would be – I would be super curious to hear, like, if you have kind of a rough number there. You know, I've never really – added it up and it kind of depends day to day you know some days i may only shoot 50 or 100 arrows other days i may shoot three 400 arrows um so it really kind of varies but you know you figure i don't know say you figure an average of you know 150 arrows a day or something like that um times six or seven days a week um let's say i grab a calculator here and we can maybe get a an estimate so say you're like 150 arrows a day average that's probably I would say that's a decent average. Maybe I shoot more than that, but I'd say that's pretty conservative. Um, say we're shooting those six days a week, um, four weeks in a month. That's 3,600 arrows a month. Um, so you'd be looking like that puts you like a little over 43,000 arrows a year. Um, so <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if I shoot, you know, closer to 50 or 75,000 arrows a year. You know, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me one bit. Oh, that's crazy. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I was – if I would have had a gun to my head, I would have figured and, – and just in my head had to be 40 to 50-plus thousand. I mean, had to be, you know, somewhere. So, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I would have been – I'd be fairly in the ballpark, you know, close to – yeah, that's that's cool, man. That's awesome. Now, speaking of – um, so you've got big news that just got released here the other day. I want you to talk about that. Um you know, actually, probably you know, uh, career-changing news because it's it's a huge deal with with switching companies and, and whatnot. But just go ahead and, and talk to us about that, Kyle. I, I know um, that's probably something you had to think about for a while, and was uh, you know that's a huge decision for a guy like you, even at twenty-five, to make. I mean, you're still super young in early stages of your pro career, but still, I mean. Moves are moves, and you know you you just made a really big move here recently. So, kind of give us the rundown on that, man. That's super exciting. I was pumped to see that, and um, was was really happy for you. Yeah, thanks. I, I think it'd be really cool. Yeah, I just um, they just announced it yesterday, but um, I switched over to Bowtech this year, so uh, I'll be shooting that stuff from now on. Um, and I'm I'm pretty excited about it. You know, they're making some awesome equipment. Uh, there's a bunch of good guys working over there. Uh, it's just a really good team to be a part of. So, you know, it's definitely a, a big move, you know, anytime you're, you're changing companies, that's a big deal. You know, it's kind of my livelihood and, and switching companies is definitely a nerve wracking decision that takes a while to, to kind of line things out and get contracts lined out and stuff like that as far as sponsorships go. And yeah, so that's definitely been in the works for quite a while. You know, it's kind of sucked having to keep it all, all a secret for a while. It, 
it's cool now. You know, everybody's been super supportive and a lot of guys are happy to see. So um, I'm excited to see what the, what the bows will do. I know they'll shoot really good. Um, you know, kind of excited to see what I can do with them. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's awesome, man. I was, I was pretty, uh, I was stoked for you there. I know that's a big move. Anytime you change companies when it comes to, you know, bows and stuff. And, and I mean, you know, you've, uh, you've definitely earned, uh, every opportunity and, and every kind of new door that opens. I mean, you've had a couple, you know, fantastic years, like I said, still early on in your archery pro career and whatnot. So it's awesome to already kind of see you gaining traction and being able to, you know, make moves and, and, and kind of pivotal moves because a move like that, you know, I mean, that, that can be a total career changer. I mean, you know, you, you just, you never know what doors will open and, and it's awesome that you've got the opportunities to be able to, you know, Hey, uh, if this is a better fit for me, this is what I'm going to do. And being a, a well-respected, you know, pro archer like yourself, I mean, it was great to see all the support. I was reading through some of the comments and stuff and yeah, I mean, it, it's awesome to see that that archery community is very, uh, very close, tight knit, you know, a lot of guys and girls um, in that community seem to really pull for each other and, and really support each other. And that that's awesome to see, especially in the world today. That's that's really cool to see. Yeah, that is one cool thing with the archery community. It's, it's so small. You know, you, a lot of people know each other. You know, as far as like on the the professional circuit and stuff, pretty much everybody knows everybody. You know, you're, you're shooting against all your buddies and stuff. And yeah, it, it's really cool to see all the support from all the different people and the fans and friends and stuff like that too you know everybody's been super excited so that's that's cool to see you know um i was a little bit worried that everybody would be you know kind of upset or or you know wondering why i changed stuff like that but it's it's cool to see all the the support and i think it's going to be a really good change you know it's kind of a a career decision and you know hopefully it'll be a a long-term you know good decision so i i'm really excited about it i'm i'm pretty pumped to be shooting their stuff and working with their guys and um yeah, it's been an awesome company to work with so far. Yeah, absolutely. I got a lot of good friends over there, guys and girls that, that are shooting, uh, you know, whether it's just bow hunting or the actual professional side of things over there at Bowtech. And, um, yeah, I, there's no doubt in my mind, um, I'm sure you will be super deadly, whether it's uh, on a five spot on a Vegas face or drawing back on a big bull or a big buck, which I want to dive into that next because uh, you uh, – you definitely uh, seem like you've got a love and a passion for bow hunting, and I definitely want to want to dive into that because um, you know it, it's. I think a lot of what you do on the professional side translates right over, which it makes sense, you know, from A to Z transfers right over to bow hunting, and and I mean I don't think you're lacking uh, success in that area as well. Yeah, I've had a pretty good run, at least the last few years. I've had kind of luck's been on my side, I guess. I don't know if it's hard work and luck combined, uh, things work out. But, yeah, the, the bow hunting side of the thing, I mean, I've, I've always said that if I had to pick one and I could only shoot target archery, I could only hunt, it'd be hands down I'd be hunting. There'd be no question about it. Um, but hunting doesn't pay the bills as well as shooting tournaments does. And it's a good alternative when you're not, you know, you can't hunt all year, so shooting targets is cool too. Um, but yeah, I, I'm absolutely diehard bow hunter. I love everything about it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about hunting with a bow 24 seven. It's, you know, <laughs> it's what occupies my mind most of the time. So it's been really good. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, been fortunate enough to kill a, a handful of pretty good animals. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been really fun. I spent a lot of time hunting in the fall and 
just absolutely love every bit of it. And the target archery side of things translates into it, you know, quite a bit too. You know, that's, that's actually why I got into target archery was to become a better bow hunter, you know, and improve my skills and be able to be more effective, you know, and that that's boiled into a lot of different situations for me, you know, where if I didn't have the, the skill or the experience that I did, uh, I wouldn't have killed some of the animals that I, that I have, you know, they would have got away because I didn't know, um, you know, what to do in specific situations or I couldn't shoot far enough or, or couldn't think fast enough um, to make it happen. So it's, it, it goes in hand in hand, I would say. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I know I got into shooting um, like five spot in Vegas and, and, and got a coach and all that when I was 15, 16. And I mean, the amount of things that I've transferred over from 3d and indoor shooting over to bow hunting i mean it's it's upped my success so much and there's so many times where i go back to that foundation when a big bull or a big buck is is in front of me um and you know i hate to say it but just being completely honest i mean i don't think i would have half of those animals um you know kind of under my name if it wasn't for you know, having some of that mental training and the physical training that came with, you know, um, having an archery coach and, and, you know, I hunt with a hinge and, and have for a long time and just being able to, you know, work through my progression as far as shot process and setup and everything. And, and it's just crazy how much that translates over to bow hunting in the moment of truth. And, you know, talk to me a little bit, Kyle, about, so if I said, okay, uh, I'm a bow hunter, um, I need to know, in your opinion, you know, what's the three most important things to be accurate with, with a bow hunting setup? Like if I was to give you, you know, okay, hey, give me the rundown on, on what your three would be. I mean, where do you, where would you start a guy off as like, okay, here's the three things that you really need to have, or, or three things that are really important to be accurate. And I mean, you know, th- this can be draw length. This could be, I mean, I mean, wh- hey, you're, you're the professional, you, you lead the way here, but what would be the, the top three that you would kind of immediately want to look at or, or want to um, walk a guy through when it comes to being accurate with a bow hunting setup? I mean, there's so many things that everything comes into play that I would say probably the, the most important ones that I can think of, you know, your first thing would be like your bow setup. You don't want to have your equipment hindering you in any way. Um, you know, you want to be able to, to shoot to the best of your abilities. So that'll come down to, you know, making sure that your bow's tuned really good, uh, making sure that your drawing's set good, loop length, peep height, um, that kind of stuff, and just making sure that the bow doesn't, um, hold you back at all. The second thing I would say is, you know, getting a ton of arrows and a ton of practice under your belt. You know, you see a lot of guys that'll pick up their bow in the summer, shoot it, you know, a little bit here and there and yep, I'm sighted in, I'm good to go hunting. And, um, you know, a lot of us aren't going to agree with that, especially guys that are really into it. You know, you need to be able to, to make it more of a year round commitment to stay in shape, shooting your bow and, um, you know, just develop muscle memory so that when things when the moment of truth comes, your brain isn't going to be thinking through your whole shot process and everything you've got to do. It just goes into kill mode and you just do what you've trained to do, you know, for, for years and years or thousands of arrows. Um, and I would say probably one thing that I see the most of that's absolutely critical for me is making sure that your broadheads fly good. I see so many guys, um, that practice all year with field tips, they get their bow shooting so good, and then they wonder why they missed or wounded an animal or whatever, and they didn't spend the time to make sure that their broadheads were dialed in. And 
I have yet to find a broadhead that flies the same as a field spoiler. I don't care what broadhead it is. I have yet to find one that flies exactly the same as a field point. Um, so you really need to, to have stuff dialed, you know, and shoot your bow exactly like you would in a hunt situation, you know, stabilize your quiver, however you're going to hunt with it is how you need to have that thing dialed in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I uh, couldn't agree with you more there. And I do think, you know, in my mind, I mean, I shoot, um, I shoot a lot of mechanicals whenever I can states that I can, and it is, it's tough to, find one that will fly close to field points, especially in that, like, let's say you're going to shoot 70, 80, 90, 100 yards, and not that necessarily that you're going to shoot an animal that far, but you just want to be able to practice at 80, 90, and 100 to make 50, 60, 70 easier. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to get one to fly, you know, close to those field points, let alone pinpointed right with them. I, I'm with you there. I mean, that's almost next to impossible. Um with you having the archery engineering background, if, if you could design one, I guess, that would do that, I mean, let me know, and I'd, I'd be happy to, happy to jump <laughs> jump on board. But, you know, in in all reality, I don't know if that could ever be, you know, honestly happen because if you look at, you know, just the aerodynamics of a field point and then you transfer that over to a broadhead, it's always longer. Um, you've always got some wings or something, you know, most of them have something a little bit hanging out the side. I mean, just the, just the look and aerodynamics of one versus the other, it's apples and oranges. So that right off the rip is, is going to lead to have some difference in how they fly and where they hit. I mean, and that's just basic knowledge of, you know, shooting a bow. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that's really rocket science and it's going to be hard to, take one versus the other and make them shoot exactly the same when they're not even built or look the same. So they're not flying through the air the same, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the, the less exposed blade surface you can get away with, the better off you are. Uh, but still, yeah, like you were saying, the length of the broadhead, you're never going to find a broadhead that doesn't have exposed blades. That's as short as a field tip. It, it just doesn't happen. And, you know, even if, if they don't have much for exposed blades or anything, just the length of the broadhead changes everything. You know, I've seen where even just the length of the broadhead will change the tune of the bow, um, will change how they hit, you know, aerodynamically they're going to react different. Everything changes a little bit. You know, it's easy to get a, especially mechanically, it's easy to get them to shoot good at 20, 30 yards, but you try and get them dialed into 100, 120 yards or something like that, it's it's really difficult to make them um, – you know, it's it's impossible, I would say, to make them shoot the same as your field tips, you know, once you get out there past 100 yards. And a lot of guys, I would say, you know, don't need to or, or shouldn't even dial out to, to past 100 yards. But, you know, I would say dial your setup as far as you can get your sight tape dialed into before your veins start hitting. I would say dial in your setup with your broadheads as far as you possibly can. Because if you stick one in one, you know, if you put one in one at 30 and he runs out there to 150 and stops and looks at you, might as well try and poke another hole into him if you can, you know. More more blood spilled on the ground is better. So I'm I'm always pushing my equipment to the limits as far as hunting and, and making sure that it's dialed. My hunt bow is always dialed to at least 120 yards, if not farther. Um, you know, just in that, that case of a follow-up shot or wherever it may be, I want to know that, you know, my equipment is dialed. And if I can shoot softballs at 120 yards with broadheads, you know, I can hit a deer's lungs at 30 yards, no problem usually. Yeah, I'd say your odds are pretty good if you can hit a softball out out at that distance at thirty and forty. You should pretty much um, it, it should be dead a hundred out of a hundred. I would say your odds are, <laughs> odds are probably looking pretty good. Uh, now, are you 
Are you more of a mechanical guy or a fixed blade guy, or does it just come with the animal, come with where you're at? I mean, do you bounce back and forth, or do you kind of prefer one over the other? I am strictly a mechanical guy. You would have to pay me a boatload of money to get me to shoot a fixed blade at an animal. Yeah, see, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I just – and I mean, you know, I want to get your, your take on it, but my take is, you know – Everything from elk, um, bears, a bunch of whitetails, mule deer, turkey, I mean, um, wild boars, just all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you hit them right with a mechanical, they die. And and in my opinion, if you hit them right with anything, you know, they should die. But, you know, and, and if you hit them wrong a lot of times, I don't care what you have, it, they don't die. You know, so I like having that big cutting surface and, and I like the way that they fly and, and the way that they tune. And that's that's always kind of been my philosophy is I want the most forgiving, accurate setup I can get. What What is your reasoning, Kyle, behind you're a mechanical guy? I mean, what's what's kind of the three or five or however many reasons you got? What Why are you that guy? Yeah, I'd say you kind of hit the nail on the head there. And there's two main reasons I would say that I shoot mechanicals. Number one being accuracy. Um, Fixed blades are never going to fly as good as mechanicals are. I don't care what you do to them. It's aerodynamics. It's physics. You know, you cannot have that much exposed blade surface and expect them to perform the same as something that has less, Um, especially if it's windy, especially if you're shooting a fast bow and stuff like that. So, you know, I will not sacrifice accuracy for anything on my hunting setup. Um, you know, accuracy is number one to me. If you hit them where you're supposed to, I don't care what you're shooting, they're toast. Um, you know, the second thing that comes into play is just the cutting diameter and just the the massive wound channels that you get with a mechanical. Um, you know, kind of my philosophy, you know, the kind of the trend right now is to go like heavy arrow with a fixed blade broadhead stuff like that trying to increase penetration and for me the only time that would ever benefit me in any way is going to be if I happen to hit something in the shoulder Um, and personally from my experience I don't care what broadhead I'm shooting if I hit one smack dab on the thick part of the shoulder it's not going through I don't care if I'm shooting the heaviest air out there with a two blade single bevel broadhead that's as sharp as can be you know it's just not getting through you hit the thinner part of the scapula yeah maybe you'll blow through but you'll still go through with mechanical so and i i figure that anywhere else on the entire rest of the body on the whole animal other than in like the shoulder or a thick bone like that you want as big of a hole as you can possibly get you know so i'm trying to increase my chances and yeah if something happens the animal moves the animal ducks or, or anything like that i just want the biggest hole i could possibly have in them so to me it's kind of a a combination of everything you know it mechanicals are going to give me more accuracy so i'm going to hit where i want to hit more often and i'm also going to get bigger holes with better blood trails and, and usually they're going to die quicker um when you just put a massive hole through them yeah i, I mean that makes total sense to me and you know for me I agree with you a hundred percent you know anywhere outside of that shoulder which i'm 27 inch draw even with my bow maxed at 72, 73 pounds, um, I don't have, I don't care how heavy of an arrow, what broadhead, I don't have the the swing um, at 27 inches to, if I hit dead center shoulder, I'm in trouble. Um, whether that's a mule deer, whitetail, elk, a bear, I'm, I'm in trouble. So, I mean, for me, 
I agree with you 100%. My setups, whether I got a 530 grain arrow or I got a 400 grain arrow, uh, realistically, that shoulder blade is pretty much a wall of armor. Um, talking about heavy arrows versus light arrows, I was going to ask you, like, if I said, okay, what's some misconceptions in archery right now that you feel like are just absolutely absurd or silly or you just can't understand? I mean, would, would that be one of them, the... Oh man, I need a 700 grain arrow that's going 150 feet per second, but it's got 9,000 pounds of kinetic energy. I mean, I mean, what what's like? <laughs> I, I just I feel like there's some some you know there's such a divided uh, stance on some some things, and you know everyone's kind of got a different opinion on what's misconceptions and what's not. Like if I said, hey, what's what's a couple misconceptions or what's a couple things that you just shake your head on or, or you can't really quite figure out how people are leaning one way versus the other, uh, what would those be? On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com WCB. That's mintmobile.com WCB. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com WCB. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest one right now, you know, and for whatever reason, the trends online that everybody's seen is to go heavy arrow, go, go fixed blade, you know, two blade broadhead, small cutting diameter to try and increase penetration. And you got to run like a five, 600 grain arrow and, and all the stuff, you know, and to me, it's just, it's so detrimental to accuracy when you start doing that, that you're, you're almost like you're setting yourself up for failure, you know, and to me, speed, adds a lot of forgiveness to a setup in a hunting situation. I mean, tell me the last time that you ranged something, put your rangefinder down, drew your bow back and got a shot off before that animal even took one step, you know, it very rarely does that ever happen. So to me, I'm, I'm trying to set up the most forgiving setup that I can possibly do. You know, my job is to kill the animal and I want to make that job as easy as I can. So if I can get more speed behind my setup, my yardage forgiveness is way better. You know, say I'm, I'm three yards off at 60 but I'm shooting 310 foot a second, it's probably not all that big of a deal. But if I'm shooting, you know, a 650 grain arrow doing 240, 
it's probably going to be a pretty big deal when you're talking three yards out there away, you know. So to me, it, there's no need for that. You know, I've, I've yet to have any sort of a penetration issue if I hit one right. You know, if one gets hit in the shoulder, like you're saying, it doesn't matter what you're shooting, chances are you're not going through. Yeah, your chances may be a little bit better with certain broadheads or, or setups, but you're still most of the time you're not going to get through that shoulder. So I'm, I'm trying to do everything I possibly can, can do to stay away from there um, and, and hit one good. And, you know, speed definitely helps with that. And the, the heavier arrow trend right now has just gotten way out of hand. You know, if somebody wants to run a little bit heavier arrow, you know, maybe for wind performance or they can't get their fixed blades to fly good when they're shooting them at, you know, over 300 foot a second or whatever, I can see that side of it. But not when you go crazy to the, to the far other end of the spectrum. It, it, there's just no need for it, you know, and you suffer so much on the accuracy side of things that, that I just can't see any benefits to it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm right there with you on that for sure. Um, and it's it's crazy. Some of the – you get on some of these threads and you get on some of these posts in and, and different places, and, I mean, these guys are ready to kill each other over, you know, you need 700 grains to kill a bull elk. You, no, you don't. My daughter <laughs> shot one with a 380 grain. I mean, and, and these guys are, like, ready to – to freaking fist fight, you know, in the parking lot over this shit. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm like, man, like, look at, like, actually sit back and read what you guys are writing and think about what's actually being said and what you guys are arguing over. Cause it's like, it's just, it's hard to even fathom, you know, there's not a perfect way by any means, but the way you broke it down, I mean, to me, that makes the most sense. You know, you want the most forgiving setup and speed is forgiving because like you said, like for my setup, I'm a 280 to 290 guy, maybe 295, um, 27-inch draw, you know, so at 50, 60 yards, if I'm off a few yards, that's a huge deal to me. Now, now think about if I'm down at 230 or 240, I mean, we're talking a foot off at 50, 60 yards, if it's two or three yards off, that's a huge difference. Four or five inches versus 12. I mean, that's, you know, two inches is a big deal, let alone going from four to five down to maybe 12 or 13. Um, that forgiveness level, I mean, my gosh, that's such a big drastic change. So I couldn't agree with you more. Um, now, let me ask you this. Are you a three-vein guy? Are you a four-vein guy? For, for bow hunting purposes only right now, not even nothing else but just strictly bow hunting, what are you running for a vein setup? Because I know that's a big one. I get asked that a lot. Three guy, four guy, you know, I've shot both. What's your take on that? I've been a four-fledged guy for quite a while now. I just I seem to get a little more forgiveness out of it, especially with broadheads. I get more control over my broadheads. Um, you know, and like when I used to – when Idaho used to had to run fixed blades up there and I'd set up a setup to go to Idaho, I would always run a four-fledged high-profile vein to try and overpower those fixed blades. You know, with mechanicals, you can get away with a little bit less. Um, but I, I just tend to get more forgiveness out of the four-fletch configuration. It just seems to correct faster coming out of the bow um, and just masks my mistakes a little bit better. And the other thing that I've found, too, that not a lot of people think of is if something gets knocked off on your bow and your bow happens to come out of tune a little bit, the four-fletch is way more forgiving, for me anyways, on a bow that's out of tune than three-fletch is. It just corrects faster and, and things work better. You know, hunting, at least out west here where I'm at, it, it's pretty hard on your bow. You know, you try and be as nice to it as you can, but at the end of the day, it gets hunted with, and the places that it gets packed around aren't aren't the very nicest places, and there's a good chance that something can get bumped. So I just want to, you know, do everything that I can to try and, 
make it more forgiving, especially if something gets knocked off or if I happen to make a bad shot when I'm nervous on an animal or whatever. I just I want those veins to, to control that arrow and get it get it under control as fast as they possibly can before it deviates off course too far. Oh, yep. I, there again, man, I couldn't agree more. I've been a, I've been a low profile four vein guy now for probably going on, I don't know, six years, seven years. And I don't think I'll ever go back. Um, the forgiveness, you know, basically everything you said I've experienced and I've been on the other end of the spectrum where with three veins, um, you know, I didn't have as much forgiveness in all those areas you just talked about. So for me, it was a no brainer and, and it just seems like, you know, no matter what I try to do, three veins never outperforms four for me and, and my setup and the way I shoot. Um, I've almost tried to get it to where I'm like, man, there's gotta be a way I can get three to outperform this four. And I've like tried to do it just for my own, just trying to do it. And I just, I have not found that sweet spot yet. Um, so I've, I've, I've just always stuck with four and I really like four. Like I said, I run four, you know, fairly stiff, low profile veins. And, and it seems like that's really worked out great for me. And it seems like a lot of guys are doing that now on hunting setups. And I think a lot of guys have caught on to exactly what you just said. You explained it perfectly. Um, you know, there again, goes back to forgiveness. And you brought up a great point. If your bow does bounce, you know, you, 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 I mean, heck with all the Western hunting I do, plus going up and out of tree stands a million times a year. I mean, you can bump stuff, knock stuff off. I mean, it's so easy to, to bump something and, and then you are out of tune a little bit, but like you said, you know, with the way four can steer over three, um, you're still going to be more forgiving with that than if you had the, you know, just straight three. So, I mean, there again, that's a great point to make, you know, in just a hunting setup. Cause like you said, shit does happen. And I mean, you know, I'm like you, uh, I'm not exactly the nicest to my bow. I mean, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to beat it off the side of a tree by any means, but I mean, Hey, it's, uh, it's pretty rough out there, especially in, in the mountain hunts and a lot of that stuff that you and I both do. It's pretty hard to be, uh, I guess, delicate with your gear out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you try and protect it the best you can. Cause when that, that moment of truth hits, you need that thing to be on. But at the same time, there's only so much you can do. <laughs> you know, you, you trip over a stick and tumble down the mountain and your bow bounces off a tree and kind of is what it is. You know, you just got to check it pretty often throughout the season to make sure that things are still dialed in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this just kind of came to my head because I, I get asked this a lot and, and I see a lot of other guys that are big time bow hunters and, you know, target archers that also bow hunt. I see this question get asked a lot. Where are you at on stabilizers? Um, you know, I run a sidebar. I mean, I'm usually 14, 12 to 14 inches out front with eight to 10 on the side. Uh, I shoot quiver on usually a six or seven arrow deal. I've always got more weight in the back. That just seems to be kind of the setup for me every year. Um, what are you running? I mean, it, you know, it, I think there's a lot of people that see that trend with running maybe uh, longer bars on their hunting rig and they're doing it, but maybe they don't really exactly know why, but it's kind of like the cool, sexy thing to do right now. Like, what are you running? Why would that be beneficial? Um, what's your take on running sidebars on a hunting setup? You know, what, what, how, how important is it? How unimportant is it? Just give me kind of the rundown on your thoughts on an actual stabilizer setup for a hunting rig. Yeah, so I, I would typically recommend guys to pack the most 
weight and length that they're willing to pack around, you know, and right now I'm running a 12 inch front bar and a 10 inch back bar on my target bow. Um, or sorry, my hunting bow. Um, I want to say I've got about seven ounces out front, um, and four ounces out back. Uh, I run a, just a tight spot five arrow quiver on there. Um, and leave that on all the time on my hunting bow. And, uh, that seems to be a pretty good setup for me. That's about as light as I can go and still get it to shoot good. Um, you know, I, I can definitely make it hold a little bit steadier with a little bit more weight, but I've just kind of found the balance where I can, I can get away with it as far as how steady it holds versus how light the bow is to pack around. And, you know, the 12 inch bar is pushing it for me on the front. I'm a pretty short guy. So I tend to, I hold my bow by the string, the stabilizer is almost bouncing off the ground, but, um, I just make do with it. You know, I, I would rather sacrifice the extra little bit of weight and packability, um, to have a more stable bow. You know, because anytime you, you get that adrenaline rushing through your veins, you need to calm that sight picture down as much as you possibly can. So, um, obviously, adding more weight to your stabilizer and adding longer stabilizers is going to make more of a difference. And, you know, so I would recommend a back bar for everybody. And, you know, if you don't want to pack a back bar, there's other options out there like Beastinger makes the counter slide um, bar, which basically offsets the bar off to the side of your bow and then it clamps it in the middle of it. So you have some of it hanging out the front of your bow and some of it hanging out the back of your bow. And that, that's kind of a good compromise, you know. It's not quite as bulky as a, a full back bar setup, but you can still change weight ratios front to back and, and play with things. But I think stability, um, you know, is something that a lot of bow hunters overlook. If you see all the all the guys that are into the target archery side of things, their hunting bows are usually always going to have a, a side draw on them. Not everybody, but most guys are because they understand the importance of that and, uh, and stuff. And, your average Joe Schmo bow hunter, he's going to put a, a six inch little rubber stabilizer on there and go out in the woods and wax some deer. And, you know, that, that probably works okay, but it, I definitely think there is a lot to um, be said for adding a, a good set of stabilizers to your setup and really taking the time to fine tune them and dial them in. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And it's funny you brought up that bee stinger setup. I ran that for two years and honestly, I, I really liked it. I mean, I had a great, great two years with it. Um, I'm always playing and changing stuff and that's the only reason why I honestly changed. But yeah, that was a great, uh, great design. Um, I, I had a, like I said, two really good falls with that thing. Uh, killed some bucks, killed a bull, killed some antelope with that bunch of whitetails and turkeys and, and really liked that setup. Um, you know, I think it's super important, like you said, to have that balance and have that stability. And I mean, I think a lot of people don't see the accuracy on paper, and but then whenever they actually go and shoot and realize how much more balanced and how much more steady they can be, they're like, oh man, wow, holy shit, this is crazy. Like, no wonder these guys are packing these bars around. It's kind of mind-blowing to think about that you're packing a 9 or 10-pound bow around, but you know, there's a reason why guys, you know, that are target archers have heavy setups or guys that have, you know, uh, professional rifle platforms that they're shooting, you know, long range stuff. Those guns aren't two pound guns. I mean, you know, stuff that's heavier is easier, you know, to keep steady, especially in the elements in wind and whatnot. So, I mean, for me, it all makes sense. And the way you explained it, I think is going to hit home and kind of resonate with a lot of guys. Um, you talked about in the moment of pressure or in the moment of truth, you know, being able to, you know, I guess, handle yourself under pressure. What would be in your mind, like what's kind of your process of like, how do you handle pressure moment of truth when it comes to bow hunting? You know, you, you, you got a big bull in front of you. 
He just bugled 400 times. He pushed his harem of cows up this little draw. He's at 62 yards. You got him ranged. He's still bugling. You're back at full draw. Okay, it's go time. Like, what's what's kind of, if you were to coach a guy through that moment, I mean, where do you think a lot of guys go wrong? Or where do you think um, guys need to really focus their energy in that moment? Um, obviously, we're all trying to make a perfect shot. That's the goal. But, you know, coming from the target side back to the bow hunting side, where are you really kind of putting your money in that moment to make sure you execute a perfect shot? So to me, I've always struggled really bad with buck fever ever since I was a little kid. I mean, I, I shake uncontrollably when, when I have something in front of me and it, it's about to happen. Um, so it's took a long time for me to start figuring some things out. And, you know, obviously I still have issues here and there with it, but I've definitely started to get things more under control to where I, um, you know, a lot more successful and making a lot better shots on animals. And what it boils down to for me is slowing myself down enough that I actually take the time and run through my regular shot process. You know, I, for years I strolled, I would just, I would get in the mindset of like, I got to shoot now. It's going to get away. The shot, you know, I got to shoot. I got to hurry. I got to shoot. It's going to get away. And then I would just blow it. I would, I would forget everything. I wouldn't level my bubble. I wouldn't center up my peep. I would punch the trigger really bad. Um, it was just a nightmare. You know, as a kid, I can't even tell you how many deer I missed, um, until I started getting things figured out. And, and nowadays for me, as long as I can get myself to think through the shot and go through my normal shot process, everything works out good. You know, it's, it's, if I try and rush through things too fast that, that I run into issues. So, you know, a lot of that comes down to, to, you know, drawing back, centering my peep, looking at my bubble, and then taking the time to actually aim. You know, not just putting your pin on hide somewhere and letting it loose, you know, figuring, you know, okay, there's the crease of the shoulder, how far back or forward do I want to be, depending on where the animal's quartering, how far up do I want to be, and, and actually picking a spot and trying to hit that spot rather than just, you know, seeing hide and, and pulling the trigger. So that, that's that been the biggest thing for me is just, just getting my myself to slow down and take my time and actually make a good shot rather than just rush through things because you know, it's going to get away or, or whatever else, other thought may pop into your mind. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I was, I was that guy too for a long time. And, um, it was a big white tail at 23 yards that I literally, I already had the, I already had the band plan. Um, I had the cheerleaders cheering for me. The beers were already opened. Uh, the, 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 the town was going crazy. I already picked out the mount. All this is taking place as the deer's walking in. And then I completely whiff at 23 yards. And that was the day I'll never forget it. Um, walking back to our barn, I was hunting right behind my family's dairy barn. I'll never forget that walk back. Um, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to let that take place again. Just absolutely come unglued at 23 yards, shot a foot over his back. Um, and it was just purely because I rushed everything, wasn't concentrating, was thinking about everything other than picking a spot. And it was that moment, which, you know, looking back, I'm happy that that happened at the time I wasn't happy. I mean, I, I was on the verge of, of spiking my bow into the ground from 25 feet and, <laughs> and never picking it up again. But uh, in looking back though, that was probably the best thing that ever happened because I had to get myself under control. Um, I had to admit I had target panic. I had to, I went to a hinge, you know, I just completely reprogrammed everything on the hunting side of things. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have killed that buck, but honestly, I learned so much from that. And, and it was that failure that really set me up for, you know, a lot of success in the future with just slowing the process down. So I know a hundred percent what you're saying and makes total sense to me. And I'm sure a lot of guys and girls listening are, are going to be like, Oh man, yeah, that's me. I get it. Um, speaking of releases, what are you hunting with? Are you hunting with a thumb, a trigger, a, a hinge? I mean, what's, what's your go-to release, um, out when you're bow hunting? Uh, you know, I've kind of been through them all um, at one point or another, but um, right now I'm just shooting just a regular wrist strap index finger release. Um, and I can shoot a, you know, a thumb button or whatever good as well, but I just, um, I like having it strapped to my wrist. I shoot it really good. Um, it, it's just been really good for me. And I shoot a lot different than most people. You know, I, I used to shoot a hinge a lot for target um, and shoot it well. And then I shot a button some and, um, a few years ago, I actually switched over to uh, to command shooting or punching the trigger, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and that totally changed my whole shot style and things. And I probably wouldn't recommend that for most people, but it works for me. And um, that index finger, it, it's just a, a really linear setup. You know, when when you pull that trigger, there's not a whole lot of motion. Things just go um, come off the string really clean, and that's worked really well for me um, lately hunting with a bow and. You know, I, I've hunted with hinges in the past and stuff when I used to shoot them and, and shot those well, but that's kind of what I've settled on right now. Now, that's interesting because that's, that's the style that old, uh, a good buddy of mine, old, old, old Gillingham, old Tim, man, he, the, the <laughs> hammer, I mean, yeah. he, he kind of, you know, I can remember way back in the day when he started giving seminars on hammer and the trigger. And, and I remember going to <laughs> one. And it's funny because, you know, I've, I've worked with Tim over there at Gold Tip and Bee Stinger for oh, a long, 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 long time. Good friend of mine, Tim is. And first time I ever heard him speak and he gave a seminar, um, I think it was at Lanc- I think it was at uh, Vegas, actually. I'll never forget. Um, I'm just like, what in the hell am I listening to right now? There is no <laughs> way that I could shoot like that. I'm thinking – that that almost gave me target panic listening to him talk about it. And I'm just like, but the principles behind it, I mean, for some people, for the right personality types, I mean, it works. Like, so for you, you know, your command shooting, run us through what that actually entails, how you're getting your shot to trigger. Like, just give us a quick breakdown on what that actually is, like what you're doing to fire an arrow and fire it accurately. I mean, clearly what you're doing is working because, um, like I said earlier in this podcast, I mean, a lot of places you go, you're, you're kicking ass and taking names. So it, it's obviously working for you. But when I say, okay, command shooting, what's that mean to you? G- give us that rundown, Kyle. I'm, I'm really interested in kind of your perspective of, of how you're going to explain it because I think there's a lot of different ways that this can be taken and if it's not explained properly it just sounds like you're just slamming this trigger recklessly which that's that's not the case i know that's not the case yeah you know a lot of times you hear the word punching and it kind of gets a negative connotation as far as archery goes you know you can't be punching the trigger you're going to shoot bad you know to me there's there's kind of different means that you know i consider myself a puncher or command shooter whatever you want to call it but it's it's all under control um, you know, it's not like a, a flinch or a, a bad thing. So basically what my shot process looks like is going to be the exact same as anybody shooting, you know, like a hinge release or, or whatever else. Um, you know, I'm sitting up in the shot and I'm a really aggressive shooter. So I'm going to 
um, have a lot of holding weight on my bow, a lot of stabilizer weight, and I pull real hard into the back while I load up um, really hard against the wall. And I continue adding pressure throughout the shot. So I'm pulling, 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 just the same as you would be, you know, with a hinge, activating a hinge. But instead of waiting for the shot to go off, I'm I'm controlling the shot. So once my uh, once I see the sight picture that I want and everything lines up, I just touch the trigger off. So I'm shooting a super, super light trigger. Um, and pretty much as soon as my brain thinks go, my thumb hits the trigger and boom, that arrow's gone. As soon as, you know, my brain sees a sight picture, it likes, it says go, sends that to my thumb, bam, that arrow's gone. And, you know, so it's a totally different mental game than shooting hinges. You know, a hinge, you're basically just waiting waiting on the shot, continue pulling, it breaks, the, the release is going to surprise you when it goes off. Um, you know, where for me, I'm I'm doing everything the same mechanically as, you know, as far as setting up the shot and stuff, but, but then I'm actually telling it when to go rather than waiting for it to go on its own. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's really cool. And, and, you know, I've always been jealous. Um, I have tried to replicate, um, and be able to do that. And, and for me, it just doesn't work. Um, I'm just, I'm not as accurate. It, it, it creates a lot of anxiety for me, but it's really cool because that's the cool thing about archery is what works for one guy doesn't work for this guy, but, but you can try everything and figure out what works for you. So for me, the surprise release, um, that's a very relaxed way for me to shoot. I'm able just to kind of focus on aim, 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 aim. When the bow goes off, it goes off. You know, the style that you're using, it's so intriguing to me because it's like polar opposite. And, and I know it can be ultra, <laughs> ultra accurate. I mean, look at you, look at Tim. I mean, my gosh, Tim's been doing that for basically his whole archery career. And I mean, the guy's got accolade after accolade after, you know, I mean, so it's, it's, uh, there's no guessing game in that if you can shoot that style and it works good for you, I mean, it's deadly accurate. I mean, whether it's targets or, bow hunting and honestly in a bow hunting scenario it's probably a better way to shoot and that's why i wish i could do it effectively because um you know with that style i do feel like for a bow hunter it it does probably give a guy more i guess you could say positive um i don't even know what the word i want to use is i i I guess there's there's more pros than cons to your style of shooting in a bow hunting scenario than there is mine you can make that shot go a lot quicker than i can so in a bow hunting scenario like sometimes that can be the difference maker yeah it definitely can can have its advantages you know and there's also drawbacks you know if you get guys that are real jumpy on the trigger and stuff and it's definitely not a method of shooting that I would recommend for a lot of people. Um, there are some people that it just works for, you know, and I just happen to be one of those. And I'm good buddies with Tim as well. That's, that's my traveling partner. We go to all the tournaments together and stuff, and I've known him for forever. And, um, you know, and he's kind of one of the influences that made me try that. He, he just got in my head one day. I'm like, you know what? If I can put the pin in the middle of the target and instead of waiting for it to go off and sitting there and having a wiggle and it seems like – Seems like with a hinge, every time it'll be sitting there dead center. As soon as that pin just wiggles out of the middle, boom, your release fires. Um, you know, and I just got frustrated one day. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try it and just see what happens. And it just all of a sudden clicked for me. Uh, a lot of people can't do it, and the, the anticipation just gets the best of them. But uh, it, it's just work. And I would recommend to everybody that you learn how to shoot every style of release out there. You know, I I I say that you should learn how to shoot a hinge style release and learn how to shoot with back tension because it opens up all your options. You know, at that point, if you know how to shoot a a hinge or a back tension style release, 
you can shoot a thumb button, you can shoot an index finger, you can shoot whatever you want to and, and pick what works best for you. You know, I would say if you're more accurate with the hinge release, hands down, shoot that over everything no matter what, you know, and you just got to do what works best for you. And, and for me, it just happens to be, you know, punching the trigger. Yeah, that's great advice. That's awesome. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, if you learn how to shoot them all and then you can figure out what works, what doesn't, and what you like more, what you're more comfortable with, I mean, that's obviously that's going to lead you to be a more forgiving and be a more confident and accurate archer. And I mean, in the bow hunting world, confidence is everything. And, uh, you know, staying, sticking with the, the bow hunting trend, uh, man, if I had to ask you, okay, so favorite animal, if I told you you can go hunt, one animal right now, or maybe it's for the rest of your life. What what's it going to be, and why? Elk in the rut, hands down. Nice. There's just just the adrenaline rush that I get from screaming bulls. Just I don't know. There's just nothing like it out there for me. I mean, deer and elk are definitely my favorites, and I I love hunting big deer, but there's just nothing like screaming bulls. Yeah, that's a tough one to beat. Uh... Mule deer for me probably would would be my number one, but gosh dang, screaming bulls! I mean, that's ugh, that that yeah, it, it's tough for me. I mean, I could go back and forth. I mean, I think the places mule deer live up in that high country, especially like Wyoming, Colorado, and stuff. I mean, it's just it's so pretty and it's so gnarly up there that I just I love being in that. But just sheer adrenaline, man! It, like, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, rutting bulls—that's about as good as it gets. What? uh what would be favorite state? I mean, as far as like just okay, you can go bow hunt this state the rest of your life. You got to pick one. Where are you heading? Uh, probably Wyoming, I would say. Yeah, that's a tough one to beat. There's a lot of game there, a lot of cool country. Um, now, have you got to hunt Wyoming quite a bit for bucks and bulls and stuff? Uh, I've never had a deer in Wyoming. I've just been building up points, which. I kind of wish I would have done that a little different and kind of spent them as I went. But now I've got too many. I don't want to burn them on an easy-to-get unit. Um, but elk tags, I get a general tag up there every chance I get. You know, it seems like it's getting harder and harder and harder to get them, but I kind of grew up hunting up there um, every time we get tagged. I just – I love everything about it. The country's awesome. Um, it, it's kind of hunting how hunting should be, I think, anyways. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty hard to beat beat the Wyoming backcountry and even some of that lowland stuff. I mean, just the state of Wyoming itself is is freaking awesome. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, what would be something that's on your bucket list? Like if I said, okay, name a few things that you're like, I absolutely have to go hunt those and hopefully kill one before I'm I'm too old to do it or I'm dead and gone. Like what would be maybe like your top two or three animals um, that you'd be looking at with a bow that you're like, oh, that's like that's the those are the Super Bowl animals for me. I would say number one for me would be Marco Polo. If I could ever have a chance to shoot a Marco Polo, especially with a bow, that would be number one on my list. I, I don't see it ever happening, but I don't know. I'd, I'd like to figure out a way one way or another to get over there and make that happen. Um, you know, but I've always wanted to do uh, mountain goats. always been a pretty good one for me. And it kind of sucks because I've got all kinds of mountain goats all over around where I live and you just can't get a tag to go hunt them. Um, but those, you know, sheep, I've always wanted to kill a doll sheep. Um, for whatever reason, that one's been really high up on the bucket list too. Yeah, no, man, you and I are super similar on a lot. I've always said, uh, so I've always said a big horn or a doll, 
Mountain Goat, and Moose would be my top three. Marco Polo, I mean, gosh, man, I can't even imagine what that would be like with a bow. I mean, that that would just be where they live and what you've got to do to even find them. And I mean, even rifle guys. I mean, I've got buddies that have dads that have went and done that hunt. And I mean, with a rifle, it's like just stupid, crazy hard, let alone with a bow. So, I mean, that that's insane. Like, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't even fat. Like, that would be, <laughs> oh, that would be nuts. Um, yeah, man, I, I hope you get to do that someday because that would be absolutely just insane. Um, oh, man, I can't even fathom like that. It, yeah, I mean, just where they live and the elements and, and just, my gosh, that would be like, about as hard as it possibly could get with a bow, I would think. Honestly, I, I couldn't think of anything else that would be harder than that. <laughs> yeah, and to me, that's just like one of the ultimates if you could ever make that happen. I don't know how many people have killed them with a bow, but I can't imagine that it's very many. No, I mean, I, I, I'm honestly going to have to look that up after this podcast because I'm really intrigued now by that. But I, I can't imagine that there's very, yeah, there, there can't be very many. I mean, that is such a, for anyone that doesn't know what a Marco Polo is, go look it up and then look up, uh, how many have been killed with a bow. And it's going to be a very small, uh, small list of guys. I'll guarantee that, um, Goals for the future for you. Last but not least, what what's you know, and, and this can be we, we kinda talked about what you'd like to bow hunt, but what's goals for the future just with your archery career, you know, as far as the professional side, what's what's kinda where are you at with that? I mean, I'm I'm sure you're chasing something. What's uh what's kind of the top of that list or maybe the cup top couple things of your list? Obviously Vegas isn't one of them cause you've already done that a few times. So that's, that's probably not going to be there, but uh, what, what else do you got? Yeah, there's a couple of them that's been on the list. You know, I've, I've been fortunate to cross a lot of them big tournaments off, you know, but there's still a few I haven't got yet. You know, Lancaster's a big one. Um, Redding is a big one. I haven't won that one. Um, I would say those are probably, Probably a couple of the big ones that I would really like to get someday. So hopefully I can make that happen. Well, I'll be pulling for you, and I'm sure that um, sooner than later you will be able to make that happen. I, I've got nothing but confidence in you. Um, I'm, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you're going to be right there knocking on the door in, in the next few years, if not winning those. Uh, if I know anything about you, so I, I think that'll you probably will be able to check those off your list, Kyle, quicker than you're going to check off that. Uh, that freaking Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say, you know, yeah, it's even bigger than those on the list. I got to get me a 200-inch buck. That's been just gnawing away at me, and I've gotten close twice. I just haven't quite got her done yet. So that one's going to be really, really cool if that happens. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That uh, I'm I'm really good buddies with uh, Devin Leonard, and and I've got to be a part of a couple of his most recent, you know, giants that he's killed, and and it just, I mean, when you get to that stage where they're 200 and over, and and you, it just it's so crazy how big that really is. I mean, people. <laughs> You know, they, yeah. they, they throw 200 around in the whitetail and in the mule deer world. And it's like when you actually get on one that's there or bigger, um, it's mind blowing how big that animal really is. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. And I've been blessed to kill a lot of big whitetails, but I've never, 
you know, 170s, 180s, 190s have never broke 200. Um, but I've been around, you know, and hunted some bucks that was right there. Um, I've got a 191 I killed in the mule deer world. I've got a 190. Um, I've hunted, yeah, hunted a couple bucks out in your home state that would, you know, well over 200. Um, Colorado, I've been on some. And it's just crazy when you actually get to see them and be around animals of that caliber. I mean, it just does something to you. It, it's like I can, I can never get that, you know, those animals off my mind. I mean, they're, they're, they're just like they're ingrained in you to the point where it's almost like this crazed obsession because – it's like this rare unicorn that's out there, but you know it's out there. You got to see it, but it's almost like you've got to, like you got to see one to actually believe that they're there. And then once you see it, you're like, "Holy shit! Like this is real. Like this can be done." You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we were up uh, up in Idaho a few years ago, and I ended up shooting the wrong buck on accident, and you know I shot like a, you know, a decent little one fifty buck, just kind of a crabby buck and the one I was trying to kill my brother ended up killing him and he went 207 and that thing is just an absolute tank of a deer and when you see one like that there's just no question you know you look at that thing it's just almost jaw-dropping how much bigger than you know an average or even a, a good buck is once they get to that caliber oh absolutely I mean yeah I mean and, and I've you know I've looked at looked at your Instagram and different things. And I mean, you've definitely killed some big stuff. There's no doubt. But like you said, when you go to, when you go to a 207 buck, um, that's just a whole nother level of big. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, Hey, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there's one out there that's got your name on it here sooner than later. And, and, uh, I'm sure you'll be, uh, doing everything you can to find one of those. Speaking of, uh, I brought up your Instagram, Kyle, where can people kind of follow you, um, follow along with what you're doing with your tournaments and with your bow hunting and, and even like your shop and stuff. I mean, give us some, some places that, you know, we can kind of follow along and keep up with you. I'm sure people are going to want to, you know, follow along after this podcast, man, with, with your archery career and, and your bow hunting and, and in hell, if they're in the area you're in, stop by the shop and see you. So give us kind of your rundown there on socials and stuff and where people can find you. Yeah, so um, I'm not the best at the, the social media game, but I'm trying to get better. Um, so Instagram would be kyle.douglas1. Um, Facebook, I'm on there. i uh, be under like Kyle Douglas Professional Archer. Um, and then the, the shop also has a, a Facebook and Instagram um, under Douglas Archery. So you can go around there and follow along if you want to, and we'll try and keep you guys updated and put out something hopefully entertaining. No, oh, that's awesome, Kyle. Hey, man, I I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been this has been a lot of fun. We we've got to kind of get techy and and nerdy uh, nerd out on archery and, and the side of different things, and then get into the bow hunting stuff, man. We even got to bring Marco Polo into this deal. I mean, it, it it's been a blast, man. I I can't thank you enough for for coming on, and I'm super stoked to see uh, see what you can do with one of those bow techs in your hands. I'm sure it's going to be. Uh, as deadly and accurate as it possibly can be. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to following along, not putting any any pressure on you. But I mean Vegas is coming up here soon and I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be looking for you on that final day. There's no doubt, my man. I'm sure you'll be there. <laughs> I'll be trying, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well hey, like I said, Kyle, can't thank you enough. Um man, it's gonna be fun to follow along. Um hey, you guys know what to do. 
Don't fucking settle, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks. Can you say the letter C? Files.